Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word today. As we think about that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Lord, it is in your word that you reveal yourself to us. It is in your word that we see your glory. We see your great worth. It's in your word that we see your son. We see your love for him. And it's in your word that we see your love for us. Oh Lord, may we value your word. May we cherish it. May we read it daily and value what it has to teach us. Not worshiping the book, but worshiping the God in whom it reveals. Thank you for your word. Now, Lord, as we come to this time of opening your word, teach us from your word. Show us the great value today of your kingdom. May we desire it, willing to sacrifice all that we have to obtain it, to live in your presence and be with you. Now this I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, as we continue looking at the parables this morning, the kingdom parables. Matthew chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 44 through 46 this morning, looking at those two parables about the value of of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom in the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. If you found your place there, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts, and you may be seated. Well, we've been looking at the kingdom parables, and let me just kind of review the parables that we have looked at thus far. We have seen the parable of the souls, or the parable of the sower, and there we saw the reception of the kingdom. What kind of soul, what kind of heart receives the kingdom message. Then we saw the parable of the weeds or the parable of the darnel and that showed us the nature of the kingdom now in our time as the the children of the kingdom they 
grow together with the weeds, the darnel, the sons of the devil, the sons of the world. We grow side by side in this age. And the way you know the, the, the wheat from the darnel is by the fruit that it produces. And then we're moving on to the next thing, uh, the kingdom. When the end comes, then the harvest will be taken, the weeds will be gathered up and cast into eternal fire, and the wheat, the children of God, will be gathered and taken to his kingdom. Then we saw the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven that showed us the nature of kingdom growth and expansion in the world. And then we, last week we looked at the the king of the kingdom as Matthew takes that break right in the middle of this, this uh, chapter here as the king is presenting all of these parables these kingdom parables Matthew says uh, that's in fulfillment of God's word Jesus teaching these parables in the way that he teaches these parables reveals that Jesus is the king of the kingdom and today we come to the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. And here we see the value of the kingdom, the value, the great and wonderful value of the kingdom. And something that we, we must consider as we're, we're thinking about the kingdom, as we're presented with the kingdom, we must consider that obtaining the kingdom comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. Now, entrance into the kingdom is free. And I want us to see that. I'm going to make that clear. But nevertheless, entering into the kingdom, there's costs associated with that. And we must consider the cost. And I believe that what Jesus is telling us in this parable today is this. Come into the kingdom of heaven. For it is invaluable and worthy of every sacrifice. Let me say that again. Come into the kingdom of heaven, dear friend. For it is invaluable and worthy of every sacrifice. So let's begin then by looking at this parable, or these two parables, and, and understanding them. I'm going to follow that same pattern that I've been following explanation interpretation and application and so begin first of all with the explanation here we have two parables laid out side by side Jesus goes right in a row again he again the kingdom of heaven is like again the kingdom of heaven is like and he continues it on until the parable we'll look at next week but we'll save that for next week but here he gives two parables back to back and these two parables are about the value of the kingdom and we see in both of these parables, there's, there's like circumstances involved here. First of all, we see a search. A search is being made. First of all, we see the man that he goes out into the field and he finds a treasure. Now, he doesn't know really what he's searching for, but he's out there in the field. He's kicking around the dirt. So he is on the search for something. And then we have the, the pearl of great price. There's a, a merchant, and he's going out into, the, out into the market, and he's looking for pearls. Notice the plural tense. 
He's looking for pearls of great value. He's, he's looking for this treasure. And then he finds one pearl of great price. And so we have these two, two parables going together, and there's this search. But then comes the discovery. Along with the search comes a discovery. Uh, they both find something of great value. Now the man who goes out into the field, we, we kinda, this kind of strange to us maybe a bit. Uh, we all like to find hidden treasure, right? Ever since we were kids growing up, we, we dreamed of finding hidden treasure. Well, here's a man who finds hidden treasure, and it was far more common back in the day. You have to understand that in this time, in Jesus' Jesus's day, uh, there were no banks with safe deposit boxes, right? And so what did you do if you wanted to keep your valuables safe? Well, you would dig a big hole and bury them. I mean, that's what they did. Probably some of you know, uh, remember grandparents aunts and uncles who used to do the same thing, right? They would bury their treasure out in the backyard somehow in a mason jar or something like that. Well, they, they did the same thing back in Jesus' day. And it was far more common to find his hidden treasure back in that day in some sense. When you think about it, uh, in that time, there was always the fear uh, of being uh, invaded by a foreign force especially before the Roman Empire came into power. But there's always this fear of being invaded by foreign force. And if you look at the Old Testament, what happened when the invaders came in? What happened when they conquered a city? They carried off the spoil. And so many times, people in that age, when they saw that a, a force was coming toward the city, when they got news that they were coming towards the city, and if it was a mighty, powerful force that could possibly overrun the city, they would go out into the fields and they would bury all of their values to hide them away from this invading force. And so here is some instance of that taking place. A man, he's going out into a field, and lo and behold, he finds a treasure, something someone has buried. It's their life, life worth of values uh, or valuables that a person has buried away and the person has died, he's been killed in battle, something has happened to this person, it's been forgotten, and here's a man, he stumbles upon it. And in that day, the rule was finders keepers and losers weepers. That was just the way it is, that's the way it was. That's kind of the way it is today still, isn't it? If you find something, you find money laying on the sidewalk, uh, it's yours, right? Unless it has somebody's name on it, which usually doesn't. It's, it's yours. We kind of have that same mentality. And it was the same back then. That was kind of the rule of the day. If you found treasure such as this, it, you could keep it. Well, this man, he finds this treasure, but there is that thing that, well, this land belongs to someone else. And the owner could say, well, that's my treasure. I hid it out there. And so the man, instead of going and finding the owner, he goes and finds the owner, and he sells off all that he has. I mean, this must be some kind of a treasure. He sells all that he has to obtain the land so that he can obtain the treasure. And the same is with the, the pearl of great price. Here's the man, he's going out, he is looking for pearls, and he finds the one. 
He finds the one that is just, it's like no other pearl that he has ever seen. It's unique. It's flawless. It's beautiful. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. And so he, he goes and he, he sells all that he has and he comes to obtain this pearl. Now you see there, along with the search and discovery, there's analysis that takes place, isn't there? There's analysis that takes place. Uh, there's a, a process of thinking. Uh, is it worth the cost, right? We're familiar with this. If you, if you have taken ec economics in the past, probably uh, you, you might remember the cost-benefits analysis. Anybody remember that? Cost-benefits analysis. That's what we do. Uh, even in our day-to-day -day lives, whether we know it or not, we often do cost-benefits analysis when we go to make a purchase, when we go to make an investment. We analyze the situation first. We don't just go out, well, most of us don't, just go out and rush out and buy something, right? That's not the wise thing to do. We analyze. We consider the cost. How much is it going to cost me? You find a parcel of land and you say, all right, I want to buy that land. What's the cost? What's the price tag attached to that piece of land? You have to lay out all of the costs. What is it going to cost right up front? What's the taxes on that property going to be? All of these different, how much, if I'm going to have to, you know, uh, renovate it and do all this work to it, what's that going to cost me? You've got to consider all of these costs. But then you consider the benefits, Right? The pros and the cons, right? The benefits, what's it going to, what am I going to benefit from this piece of land? Am I going to be able to make a profit off of that? And we do this with all kinds of decisions that we make. Is the benefits going to outweigh the cost? And these two men, both of them, they do that. Uh, they think of that as they are thinking, this is a, a magnificent treasure that I found. It's great. It's wonderful. Look at all the riches in this treasure. Yes, it's worth giving away all that I have, selling all that I have to come back and buy this land to get this treasure. Same with the, the pearl of great price. There's an analysis that is done. There's a counting of the cost to make this decision. And then there's the sacrifice for the invaluable. There's sacrifice for the invaluable. It's worth of the, worthy of the cost. It's worthy of the cost. What I have is nothing compared to what I gain in this treasure. Now, imagine, if you will, that in this box I told you I had the Hope Diamond. Anybody know what the Hope Diamond is? Hope Diamond is the world's largest diamond. The Hope Diamond is 52 carats. That's a lot of carats. Be <laughs> a lot of horses with those carats, can't you? 52 carats. Massive. Now, what if I told you I'm going to auction off the Hope Diamond that I have in this box? What would you do to get a hold of the Hope Diamond? Would you sell your house? Would you empty your bank account? 
If I just said, I'm going to give it to the highest bidder here, would you give everything that you own? Would you go off and sell everything that you own to obtain the Hope Diamond? Now, in case you're wondering, the Hope Diamond is worth $350 million. I don't have $350 million in my bank account, but I would probably, I mean, it would be a wise investment for me to go sell my house if I had to, to try to come out to be the highest bidder, to obtain the value of the Hope Diamond. That's an, a valuable, it's invaluable. Think about what, what you can make off of that in a lifetime, right? So we would probably, we would likely make a great sacrifice to obtain something such as the Hope Diamond because it's so valuable. It's invaluable to a certain extent. So that's kind of the image that we have here. That's the image that Jesus is giving us. Here is an invaluable treasure that is presented and the people in these parables, they see the value of the treasure and they make the, the sacrifice to obtain the invaluable treasure that they have come across. That's the explanation. Now here's the interpretation. Here's the interpretation as we, we open up this, this parable a little more. First of all, we should know here that all seek joy. All seek joy. All of us seek joy. All of us seek joy, and, and that's a, a key point in, in the passage, I think. Then in his joy, it says, of the man who found the treasure in the field, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There's joy involved. He is looking to fulfill joy in his life. We all are looking for joy. We're all seeking joy, each and every one of us in our lives. That's one of the things that we strive for. In fact, in the Declaration of, Ind of the Independence, Thomas Jefferson says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed, notice that word, they are endowed by their creator with inherent and inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, in our day, we kind of have a distinction between joy and happiness. We think of happiness being uh, based upon happenings. It's something that comes from without. It's, it's based on, on things outside of us. It's based on our happenings. And so if our happenings aren't great, then we, we can't be happy. Joy, on the other hand, we think of as something that's inward. It's inside us. It, it comes from within. And so it can't be so easily uh, stomped out. Joy is something that we just have. And even in our sad moments, even when we mourn, we can still have joy. But in Thomas's, Thomas Jefferson's day, that was not the case. They thought of happiness and joy as synonymous and so when Thomas Jefferson talks about uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, what he's really talking about is life, liberty, and the pursuit of joy. That's what he's looking for, that lasting joy that comes from within. And, and Jefferson, even though he wasn't a Christian, uh, he, he understood that the Creator a God who created us endowed us with this desire to seek joy, 
to pursue joy. And that's what we do in life. When we go out and, and, and buy new clothes, in a sense, we're, we're trying to build joy in our life. When we go out and buy shiny things, we, we're looking to, to find some sense of joy in our life. See, that's the world's answer to it. The world's answer is go, go get material things. That gives you joy. So we seek joy. We long for joy. We pursue joy. Some in their pursuit of joy, will discover the kingdom. Some will discover the kingdom. We have to say some because not all discover the kingdom. Jesus has made that perfectly clear throughout this, this chapter as we've looked at that. Some discover it, some don't. As the discovery of the kingdom is made, as there's this understanding of the value of the kingdom you see the kingdom for what it's worth analysis must be made and a decision must be rendered analysis must be made and a decision must be rendered you see we've got to do the cost benefit analysis when we see the kingdom and see the value of the kingdom Jesus makes this absolutely clear. Jesus makes this absolutely clear. In Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 14, verse, starting in verse 25, Jesus makes this point exactly. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. Did you get that? Unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, or your husband, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, you cannot be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, wait a minute, Jesus commands us to love. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Well, I think the point that Jesus is getting across, he's not contradicting himself, but, but it's in comparison. It's in comparison. One who who wants to follow Jesus, must love Jesus to such an extent that what they have for their family, their friends, even for their own life, is hate compared to their love for Jesus. That's how much you have to love Jesus. you got to love him above and beyond everything else. When you come to Jesus, Jesus becomes number one. Not your wife, not your kids, not your mom and dad, not your best friend, not even yourself. Jesus is number one, or you can't be a follower of Jesus. Jesus makes that absolutely clear throughout the Gospels. Jesus must be number one, or you're not a follower of Jesus. He goes on to say, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a, a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, 
whether he's able to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. A white king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if he can't, and, and if not, while the other is yet a great way off, sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You see, there's cost in following Jesus. To follow Jesus costs us everything. It costs us everything. We have no other gods before Jesus. No other loves before Jesus. Jesus must become number one in our life, period. But we can't follow Jesus. We might be a fan of Jesus, but we're not a follower of Jesus. How does this work out then? You say, well, does that mean that the kingdom's not free? That, that it comes with this price? Is, is salvation not a free gift? Yes, salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. The gift of the kingdom, the gates are open, and they say, come in. It's free. But there's a, there's a cost once that gift is gained. Imagine this. Imagine this. We're, we're talking uh, uh, ancient times. Imagine you're an enemy of the state, and here's this magnificent kingdom. Oh, it's got beautiful golden walls. It's a massive, wonderful kingdom. And the king is a, a great, wonderful, loving king. And you look within the gates and you see all the, the people in the kingdom. Oh, they're filled with joy and happiness. Everything is wonderful in the kingdom. But your whole life, you've been an enemy of the kingdom. You've been an enemy of the kingdom. A rebel against the king. You, you have waged charges against the king. You haven't been subservient to the king. You have pushed against the king. You have longed to kill the king so that you might have his position. But there you stand outside the kingdom looking. And it dawns on you how wonderful of a kingdom it is. And the king comes out of the gate. And he sees you standing there and he says, Dear friend, won't you come in? Just come into the kingdom. Just come into my kingdom. I will let you in. Oh, but king, I've been a, a rebel against the state for so long and, and, and the, the penalty for my rebellion I know is death. I can't come into your kingdom. I'm not worthy to come into your kingdom. And the, kingdom, and the king says, Look, I've paid the price. 
I paid the price. The penalty of death is off the table. Entry is free. But think about what it cost to enter the gates. Think about all the friends and the family who are still living in rebellion against the king. Guess what? It's going to cost you the friends and the family who are still in rebellion against the king because they're not going to come in after you. It means that you got to let go of all of the valuables that, that you held on so tightly to. You've got to let them go and seeing the value of the kingdom run into the kingdom. You have to leave all of that stuff behind. All the stuff that, that took precedent in your life, all the th things that were priority to you, you must leave them behind so that you can enter into the kingdom and follow the king. You see, there's cost. There is cost. There's great cost. We've got to love Jesus before anything else, above anything else. If we don't love Jesus as number one, we're not a follower of Jesus. See, we've got to make analysis. We've got to consider the cost, as Jesus said. He says, look at the kingdom. Look at the great value of the kingdom. It's a glorious kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. The kingdom that you're holding on to, the kingdom that you're fighting for, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It will end. Yet the kingdom of God is a glorious, eternal kingdom. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth leaving everything that will burn away anyway to reach out and take hold of the kingdom? That's what Jesus wants you to see. See the great value of the kingdom. The kingdom principle that we see in the text here is this. The kingdom of heaven is invaluable and worthy of every sacrifice. The kingdom of heaven is invaluable. There's no price tag you can put on it. It's invaluable and worthy of every sacrifice. If Jesus came to you like the rich young ruler and says, Sell off all that you own and follow me. It's worthy. It's worth going and selling off everything that you own and following Jesus. It's worthy of all sacrifice. Jesus is worthy. The application. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Pursue the kingdom with all of your might. There are some here today, you're seeking the kingdom. That's why you're here. You came here to seek the kingdom. Maybe you're seeking the kingdom thinking, well, I can get into the kingdom if I just come to church. If I just attend semi-regularly, regularly, then I can obtain the kingdom. You're seeking the kingdom. But Jesus doesn't just want you on Sunday mornings. 
He, don't just, he doesn't want just little change that you might throw in the offering plate. Jesus wants all of you. He wants all of you. Seek the kingdom. Pursue the kingdom with all that you have. Analyze the cost. Conduct the, the cost-benefits analysis. Look at what it'll cost you. Yes, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. You must hold everything that you hold dear. You must let it go. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to sell off all that you own and, and move away somewhere, be a missionary. It doesn't mean that God calls people to different things. But it does mean you have to be willing to let go of it all. Burn it all down. And follow Jesus. You've got to be willing to let it go. You can't hold on to the things that you hold as a God over you in this world and grab a hold of Jesus too. You can't do it. You've got to let go of this world and cling on to Jesus. Both hands. Analyze the cost. Look at the cost. Yes, it will cost you your life. But look what you gain. You gain a new life in Christ, an eternal life. This becomes even more clear next week. We look at that the other parable. Analyze the cost. Consider the cost. And finally, receive the kingdom. Receive the kingdom. Turn away from the world and turn to the kingdom. Enter into the gates of the kingdom. Jesus is there. He's offering it to you. Have you entered the kingdom? Dear friend, come into the kingdom. Come into the kingdom of the Lord. Now, dear Christian, maybe you're here and you're how does this apply to me? We've got to remember the value of the kingdom. For those who have not ever realized the value of the kingdom, never come to that point where they have been invited into the kingdom, they need to see the value of the kingdom and they need to run into the kingdom. Some of us, we're in the kingdom and we have forgotten the value of the kingdom and we have allowed the world to creep back into our lives. We begin to hold on and, and kind of turn away and start grabbing onto worldly things and hold them as more valuable than Jesus. Oh, how sin likes to get a hold of us and pull us away little by little. We need to get a fresh vision of the kingdom. We need to see Jesus for all that He is worth. And like Paul, count the cost and give up everything everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord 
What have you allowed to creep into your relationship with Jesus? What have you allowed to get in the way of your relationship with him? Let it go. Cut it loose. Jesus says, if the eye offends you, pluck it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. Whatever it is that's, that's getting in between, interrupting your relationship with Jesus, cut it out of your life. Get rid of it. Because Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. Dear friend, we need to see Jesus. See Him for all that He is worth. And grab onto Him with all that we have. Forsaking everything else in our life for the sake of knowing Jesus our Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh Lord, sin and Satan wants to blind us from seeing the kingdom. Indeed, the stain of sin does blind us from seeing the great value and beauty of your kingdom. Today, there have been those who are even here in this place who have been blinded I'm seeing the kingdom. Oh, Lord, remove the veil. Give them eyes to see. Let us all see with spiritual eyes the beauty, value of the kingdom. Let us see it. Let us understand its value and its worth. And Lord, give us the power to let go of everything else. To grab a hold of the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift. You open the gates, you invite us in, you've paid the price for us. Now, Lord, just let us see. Let us enter in. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.